0: For the rest of you that are still here with me, feel like you've grown up a little bit, and you're going to stay here in big church, I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to look at uh, uh, 10 verses today and uh, consider what the Apostle Paul shares with us here in chapter 4. All right, all right. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. We want to read through verse 10 through 20. So if you found it, let's go ahead and honor the reading of the word of the Lord by standing up today and uh, just reading together as I read it with you. If you don't have your Bibles, it's there on the screen for you to follow along. But I hope that you have brought your word with you today. All right, Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says, starting in verse 10, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, and now at the last for your care of me has flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am in, therefore to be content." I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding ye have well done that ye did communicate with me in my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the, the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica you sent once again unto my necessity, not because I desired a gift, but, but I desired fruit that may abound in you to your account. But I hate all or have all things abound in, in full, having received of Ephroditus, Uh, The things which Thou hast sent from you, an odor, a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, thank You for the words of the Apostle Paul as he shares about his needs and his contentment lord today and i pray that father as we look to this subject that lord that we would see how we too can recognize the needs and the fullness thereof but yet always Know that we can be found content in you. Lord, lead God and direct us, I pray. Move me out of the way. Hide me behind the cross. Let your word speak to your children today, lifting up every heart, drawing them near to you, O Lord. If there's one that doesn't know you today, Lord, may they know that they must receive Jesus Christ in his fullness to be content. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, I want to let you in on a little secret. Everybody likes a little secret. You know, uh, oftentimes when I've done the, uh, the uh, thoughts for the day, I do a little message on secrets, and I always say, boy, isn't it amazing when I say i got a secret, I hear all the chairs sliding closer to the radio. You know, we all want to hear what that secret is. I've got a secret for you this morning, um, maybe that you and I have yet to learn, but need so desperately to learn. It's actually just a one-word secret. It's the word contentment. Now listen, I didn't say prosperity. You know, that seems to be the word of the day, prosperity. But no, I wanted to talk to you about the secret of contentment. Uh, And what does contentment look like? In this passage I just read to you, Uh, A moment ago, the Apostle Paul gives us a beautiful illustration of what contentment looks like. And here's what he said in verse 11. I have learned to be content whatsoever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Rather well fed, rather hungry, rather living in plenty or in want. Wouldn't you like to know uh, that kind of contentment? In order for us to understand that kind of contentment, we may need to understand the definition of contentment. Contentment is simply realizing how much you already have and how much God has already given you, how rich you already are. The problem with many of us is that we approach contentment focused upon the circumstances of life. And listen, we all know the circumstances of life are always changing and not always for the good. Far too many of us take our happiness and our joy and then contentment based upon how things are going on the outside. The Bible says, however that it is not like that at all. Contentment is not a matter of what our outside circumstances are. Contentment is a matter of understanding how much God has already blessed us with, what He's already given to us. Historian Arthur uh, Schwarzinger, Jr., uh, observed that our society is marked by an extinguishable discontentment. Our quest is better uh, for... is. For better, for what is next, we want a better job, we want a better pay, we want a better boss, we want better relationships, we want a better car, we want a better backhand in our tennis game, or in Larry Calhoun's case, he wants a longer drive on the golf course. Yeah, absolutely. We're always looking for that which is better or or gives us a, a bigger advantage. And we have the propensity to live endlessly in the seeking for the next thing, looking for the next weekend, living for the next vacation, living for the next purchase or the next experience. We never seem to be satisfied, never content, always envious of those who have what we do not have trying to obtain and to accumulate even more. We talked about this in Sunday school this morning. What is that number one growing billion plus dollar business? It's used storage building, so that we can go buy what we don't have so that we don't have room for it. So we take it out of our house and we go store it in a building so that we can run back again and buy something else that we don't have a place to put in our house so that we can take something out and put it in a storage building. That's why they're building another new one down the street because they're all full up. We're not content with what we have, but we are always looking for something more. I want to talk to you today about what the Bible says about how we can be content in what God has already given us. But let me just remind you that first and foremost, we need to understand what contentment looks like. And so in doing that, I want to begin by by talking to you, uh, what do I have to be content about? You know, I think that that's a great question, and many of you might even be here today. You might be here this morning and hearing this question and thinking, Yes, preacher, tell me, what do I have to be content about? I mean, you don't know my circumstances. You don't know what I'm lacking. You don't know what I'm needing. Listen, my friends, I want to tell you that if you're here this morning, if you have been blessed by the hand of God, to be drawn by His Holy Spirit into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then you have everything that you need in this world. Now, if you have not, I'm going to encourage you even right now, this very moment, to begin letting the Spirit of God speak to your heart so that at that time of invitation, when I stand right down there and say, come to the Lord, that you can't sit in your seat, but you must run to the altar, even though we're not supposed to run in church. That we can't wait to get there to give our heart to Jesus so that we can have all that we need in this world to be content. So I want to talk to you this morning about what do you have to be content about. I want you to hear what God has to say to you this morning about what He has already given you this morning so that you have everything that you need to be content. Paul the Apostle wrote, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever my circumstance is. How could he make such a bold statement? Because he knew the content." The contentment lies not from without, but from within. It is the matter of he knew whose he was. He knew who had bought and paid for his salvation. He knew that he was once a sinner. He was once far from God, but yet by the Holy Spirit of God drawn into that relationship and shown that there was a salvation that he could not earn, that he could not buy, but that God so freely gave and gave to him in the fullness of that salvation. I want you to understand that when you and I come into a personal relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, we have everything that we need. We know whose I am and what I have. A lack of contentment causes you and I to look horizontally when we really need to be looking vertically. We need to be looking up And saying, what good gifts have come from my Father? There is no greater gift than He sent His Son to die on the cross so that you and I could have the freedom from our sins so that we could be forgiven and set free so that we could live in a relationship with God the Father once again. When you and I come into that kind of relationship, through Jesus Christ, we no longer need to look at horizontal uh, relationships, but we look at a vertical relationship. We don't need to look at the things of this world, but we look at what God is giving to us every day. When you and I look in that direction, regardless of what our possessions are, or the lack, or the status that we have in this world, or the lack of status... We can know within our heart that I have all that I need because I know whom I belong to and I am a son of the living God. And I am an heir to the throne of the King of Kings who sits upon that mighty throne. I don't know about you, but I'm nothing apart from Jesus Christ, but I am everything in Him. I am a son of the Lord God. I am a joint heir to Jesus Christ. Everything that Jesus has belongs to me and to you if we belong to Him. He has shared it all with us. A man came to his minister in great distress and in great need, seeking counsel from his minister about his financial collapse. He said, I've lost everything, preacher. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that you've lost your faith. No, the man countered, no, preacher, I haven't lost my faith. Well, then I'm sad to hear that you've lost your character. Preacher, no, I didn't say that I lost my character. I still have my character. Well, I'm sorry that you've lost your salvation. Preacher, I didn't say that I lost my salvation. Well, I'm sorry that you've lost your faith. You've lost your character. You've lost your salvation. No, preacher, I didn't lose any of those things. And the man looked at the preacher in disgust. And the preacher said, Well, if you've got all those things, you've got everything you need. You see, my friends, we look at the things of this world instead of the things from God. You and I haven't lost any of those if we have them in Jesus Christ. You and I can pray like the Puritan prayed. He sat down to a meal of bread and water. He bowed his head and declared, all of this in Jesus too? Can't get any better than that. John Stott, one of the commentators that I oftentimes read, said this about contentment. Contentment is the secret of inward peace. It remembers the stark truth that we that we brought nothing into this world and that we can take nothing out of it. Life, in fact, is simply a pilgrimage from one moment of nakedness to another. So we should travel light and live simply. Our enemy is not possessions, but excess. Our battle cry is not nothing, But enough, we've got enough, simply said. If you have food and clothing, we should all be content with that. For you and I as Christians, contentment should mean that if I have Jesus Christ, I have enough. The only thing that we're going to take with us is what God has invested in us. Not what we've collected along the way. I've done thousands of funerals. And I've yet to have a U-Haul hooked to the hearse. They've left it all behind. But I have ushered many, many over the years into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ with everything they needed their salvation, their hope of everlasting life. The second thing I want us to talk about this morning is how can I move from discontentment to contentment. I hope that you understand that there is something that you have that God alone has given unto you. If you have salvation, you have something to be content with. But but so many of us in this world, even so many in the church, live in constant discontentment? How does one move from that, that, that land of discontentment to a land of contentment? I want to take just a few moments to talk to you about that subject. Because contentment comes when we can honestly say with the Apostle Paul, I know both how to have little and I know how to have a lot. In any and in all circumstances, I have learned the secret of, of being content, rather well-fed or hungry, rather in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengtheneth me. Contentment is not something that just happens, it's something we learn how to become. Every one of us that are sitting here today can move from the land of discontentment into the the home of contentment by learning what we need to learn. Learning first and foremost that Jesus is always enough. That He is enough. He, He gave to us His all. Contentment is learning to realize how much that you already have been given, that you already possess. You are better off than you think you are. If you aren't content, you ought to be. You have more than you think that you have right now. God has given you more than you realize. And people all around you need you more than you know. If you and I have any doubts about it, consider this. There's no question in our minds that God is good. And we praise Him in all things. Would you say that? Would you agree with that? As a matter of fact, I just I got inspired this week and I put on our church sign. I don't know if you noticed, on one side, I said, God is good all, and all the time. And then I said, okay, I'm going to reverse it so that when they're looking the other way, they get another message. All the time, God is good. The reality is, do you believe that? That God is good all the time? And all the time, God is good. If God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, do we not have something to be content about? Now listen, I'm not saying that we're living in a world that is not burden-filled. Absolutely not. I came this morning filled with burdens. When my phone rang last night, and when I got a text this morning, And another one talking about people on their deathbed. The weight of that. But yet I am content in knowing that my God is good. That He will fulfill His will. And His plan for all of us is in His hands. There's no question that God is good all the time. And you might be here this morning and your heart is heavy. And you might be saying, Preacher, but you don't understand the, the, the things my family's going through. You don't understand the, the burdens that I have to carry. Maybe I don't, but God does. You know what? His Word says that you that are heavy laden come unto me and I will give you rest. We prayed right here this morning. And Tom said... Lay your burdens down. And that's what I did. That's what you can do. Yeah, we come Sunday after Sunday carrying the burdens of life, but God gave us an altar where we can come and meet Him and say, Father, I can't carry them anymore. And Jesus said, great, it's about time because I wanted to carry them for you. You see, we've received more than what we can imagine. A promise. Doug McKnight could say that when, at the age of 32, he was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, over the next 16 years, it would cost him his career, his mobility, and eventually his life. Because of MS, he couldn't feed himself or he couldn't walk. He battled depression and fear, but through it all, Doug never lost his sense of gratitude. Evidenced in his prayer list, friends from his congregation came to him and said, Doug, please tell us what you're going through so that we know how to pray for you. Write us a list so we can go back and pray. Doug wrote a list, and in that list, it included 18 blessings to which he was grateful and only six concerns to which he was to be prayerful. His blessings outweighed his needs three to one. And I dare bet if you and I today were to make a list of all that God has blessed us with and all that we feel that we have need of, if we were being truly honest, our blessings would outweigh our burdens. That's the kind of God we serve. That's the God that the Apostle Paul knew that he could say, I have learned to be content. So had another, a leper on the island of Tobago. A short-term missionary met her on a mission trip. And on the final day, he was leading worship in this leper colony. He asked any, if anyone had a favorite song that they would like to sing as they concluded their service. When he did, a woman turned around and he saw this most defigured face that he'd ever seen. She had no ears. She had no nose. Her lips were gone. But she raised a fingerless hand and asked, Could we sing? Count your blessings. Name them one by one. The missionary started the song, but He couldn't finish it. Later, telling the story back home, someone asked him, I suppose that you'll never be able to sing that song again. And he answered, oh no. I'll sing that song again and again and again, but never the same way. You know, when we read stories like this, it should remind us of that old saying, I complained about having no shoes until I met a man who had no feet. There's no question in my mind that God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. If God is good all the time and all the time God is good, does that not share with us the idea that we have something to praise Him for? We have something to be content in. That we have something to lift our voice up. That we ought not to be living in the land of discontentment, but we ought to be living in a home filled with contentment. Such contentment, the Apostle Paul, is learned. The Apostle Paul said, I've learned because I've been without. I've gone with little and I've had too much that I had to share it with others. Such contentment is learned. It's not a natural thing for any of us. Our sinful nature tells us that it is not natural for us to be content, but we are always looking. We're not born with contentment. It's not a gift that comes from God. It's something we learn as we live with God. Our tendency is to look for the next thing that will make us content in the moment. But we need to remember those things that are better or those events that are next are just momentary events that will make us content for a moment until we move back into the land of discontentment. So hearing that Can I just ask you a question this morning? I want you to listen to me. If you've got the outline this morning, this question's on there and the blank is there for you to fill in. And here's the question. What is the one thing separating you from true joy? How would you fill in this blank? I will be happy when... Now maybe somebody's going to say, when I'm healed, when I get that promotion, when I finally meet Mr. Wright and get married, when I can be single again, when I hit the lottery and I'm rich, Kelsey, it wasn't that funny, how would you finish that statement? What would you put? What would make you happy? Now, have you got your answer in your mind? Maybe your answer sounds something like this When my ship comes in, that'll make me happy. But what if? What if your ship never comes in? What if your dream never comes true? If your situation never changes, could you, would you be happy? If not, let me tell you, you're living in the land of discontentment. And you need to move out and start learning to live in the home of contentment. It's time that we pack our bags from the land of discontentment and move into the new home of knowing that we have everything that we need if we have Jesus. I can be content in Him. Lastly, let me just ask you, where does one's contentment reside? Where is that home? Where is that land of contentment versus that land of discontentment? First of all, contentment resides not on the outside, but on the inside. It resides in the heart. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And the reality is that if we're living in a land of discontentment, it says that there's something wrong with our heart. If we can be content in all things, it says that we are right in our heart. Now listen, contentment is not denying one's feelings about wanting or desiring that which we cannot have. We all have those. But instead it's exhibiting a freedom from being controlled by those feelings and saying I must get it at at whatever cost. Contentment isn't pretending things are right when they are not. But instead it displays that peace of God that comes from knowing that God is bigger than any problem and that He works them out for His good. Contentment isn't feeling a well-being contentment on keeping our circumstances under control, but instead it's promoting a joy in spite of the circumstances in which we find ourselves living in. It finds that we are looking up instead of looking horizontally. Contentment is not based on the external circumstances, but rather on our internal source of strength. Commitment is of the heart. And unfortunately, the majority of the people in our society are like a thermometer. You know what a thermometer does? It doesn't change a thing. But it reads the temperature of what's going on around it. So it goes up and down with every circumstance. When the sun's beating on it, it's up. When the night's come, it's down. Far too many of us are like the thermometer instead of the thermostat. Instead of controlling the temperature, we're riding the wave. They hope that the next superficial satisfaction will just last a little longer. The external happiness is like cotton candy. You ever have cotton candy, folks? Mm-mm-mm. Oh, it tastes real good for about three seconds, and then it's dissolved and gone away. It's kind of what external satisfaction is. It's there but for a moment, and then it's gone. But a person who has learned to cultivate deep, down commitment or contentment will be consistent, consistently joyful no matter what they're facing. Most people thirst for what the Apostle Paul claimed to have. And let me just remind you, the Apostle Paul took a lifetime to get to where he was here in this verse. It took him all the ups and all of the downs. And as he's writing to the letter of Philippians, he's writing at the latter part of his life, after he'd been through much, and he said, I've learned. I've learned how to be content because I've been up and down like the thermometer. But I've learned to be consistent, finding myself in joy. Contentment is always an inside job, it has everything to do with, it has everything to do with what is going on on the inside, the heart. Not what is going on on the outside. It has only one source of strength. That source is found in a soul satisfied in a relationship with Jesus Christ that has reconnected us to our Heavenly Father that says that one day I'm going to leave the cares of this world behind and I'm going to be in the presence of the Father. If you can't say that this morning, I tell you, in just a few moments, the altar will be open for you. Contentment not only resides in the heart, but it also resides in the will. Let me tell you if we don't determine, if we don't make a decision, it won't happen. We've got to decide that this is the way that I want to live. Contentment is a matter of accepting God's hand no matter what He sends our way. Remembering that He is good all the time and all the time He is good. And that He wants to give good gifts to His children and therefore God's hand is upon us. All that is needful He promises that He will supply. Even the pain and the suffering that we need in this life so that it might draw us closer to Him. If you and I fail to surrender our will to His will, we will constantly be living in discontentment. Our freedom will be suffocated. We will be in bondage to our desires. Our relationship will be poisoned with jealousy and competition. Potential blessings will be sacrifice and discontentment will have the potential to destroy our peace, rob us of our joy, and make our lives miserable. And oh, by the way, tarnish any witness that we think we have in the world that is looking at what Christians ought to be doing. We dishonor God when we proclaim a Savior who satisfies us with salvation but we allow our lives to be lived in discontentment. So what is the secret to my contentment? Those things that we accept and expect to bring contentment, surprisingly, doesn't last. We cannot depend upon contentment to fall into our laps from our education, our money, or our status. Because contentment only resides and comes from a gift from God. It is through a divine source, a source that money and material possessions can never purchase. The secret of contentment is hidden from the casual observer. But what is that secret? First of all, we need to look back. Remember the work of the cross. Philippians 1.21 reminds us here, For me, living is Christ and dying is gain. The cornerstone of contentment is knowing that we have come to the foot of the cross. Remembering what Jesus has done for us when he paid our penalty for our sin on Calvary's cross. Because of the cross, we've been freed from the chains of sin. Because of the work of the cross, our salvation is secure. Because of the work of the cross, our friendship with God is possible. Because of the work of the cross, our future in heaven is guaranteed. Isn't that enough? Just to go back to the cross. What else in this world really matters? Jesus said, what is it gain a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his very soul? We need to remember the cross, but we need to also let go of the things of the past. Paul said in Philippians 3.13, Brethren, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting that which is behind and reaching forward to that which is ahead. You and I can never hope to gain contentment while holding on to past failures or mistakes, that of others or even of ourselves. There's a difference between ignoring our past wrongs and forgetting them. Forgetting means that we have worked through them, that we've moved beyond them, that we've found forgiveness in Jesus and we're no longer living there, but we have moved from there to where we need to be. So we need to let go of such statements that begin with, I should have, if only, and if they hadn't. True forgiveness requires that we see wrong clearly. Articulating them, releasing them to God and then walking away from them. The writer of Hebrews says that we ought to lay aside every weight of sin that so easily besets us, trips us up. Let go of the past and then accept each day As the gift that God has given unto you this day. Paul said in Philippians 4 19, And my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Here, we can wait on God. Here, we need to surrender our timetable to his future table. Discontentment is due to a wrong focus. If we focus on the things of others, we will be discontent. But if we focus on the things of God, if we focus on living every day in light of the fact that God has given us this day to glorify Him, the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. And finally, find your sufficiency in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I am able to do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. You know, when we think about the term contentment, it seems like it's a self sufficiency act. I can get there. But according to Scripture, it's not about self at all. The Scripture tells us that, that being content is content in Christ's sufficiency, resting in Him. When His powerful presence is consuming us, we can do all things that He has commanded us. Christ has not given us unlimited strength, but we can experience contentment because we are continually receiving supernatural strength. Our human determination may be to help us find a way just to get through the adversities of this day. Our emotional toughness can help us get through a job or financial hardship. But listen, only Christ can generate a contented spirit within us in the midst of everything that is happening in this world. The Apostle Paul says, I have learned to be content. Contentment has learned the lesson that Jesus is simply enough. If you know Jesus this morning, you have a God who hears you, the power of love behind you, the Holy Spirit of God within you, and you have heaven awaiting you. If you have Jesus, you have the grace for every sin, direction for every turn, a candle for every encounter, and an anchor in every storm. In short, you have everything you need in Jesus. That is what contentment looks like knowing that Jesus is enough. If you need Jesus this morning, come. He wants to be here enough. If you're living in the land of discontentment, move out and go home to a house of contentment where Jesus is simply Enough. as we move into a time of commitment a time of decision a time of acknowledgement that Jesus is enough I'm going to ask that they end the online